This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to another steamy hot episode of <laughs> We'll See You in Hell. I'm just chuckling. Pat read a, uh, you probably won't hear it before this. It'll probably pop up somewhere in the middle of the episode jarringly. Uh, but uh, there's the, we, Pat's read of the quip ad made me laugh today. Uh, it's your podcast that you turn to for the, for the shakes and the quakes and the what's happening and all the horror and sci-fi and... Uh, and uh, uh, fantasy film stuff going on out there in the world. Uh, my name's Joe DeRosa. My name is Patrick Walsh. Um, Joe, how have you been? I know how you've been. We've been talking. It's not good. <laughs> it's I know been a how real ball breaker week out here in La La Land. Yeah. It's just been a lot of rejections this week on <laughs> sure. all fronts. It's not a great sure. week. Uh, had to really convince myself not to open a bottle of wine at quarter to 3 p.m. today. <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't do it. I fought it. Yeah. But it's one of those weeks where you're just like, oh, for Christ's sakes, who cares? Um, I hear you. But other than that, I I think I have my health. I don't know. I have a physical on Tuesday. Okay. Or actually, God, when this by the time this comes out, I will have already had the physical. So you could you could know that you're dying while this episode. Yeah, ends. yeah. So let's hope. That I don't just, it's not bad news, and I don't replay this episode over and over as I weep myself to sleep Yeah, uh, of a simpler time when I was healthy. But, uh, you know, other than that, I guess everything's pretty good, you know? Good. Uh, almost never reading the news at all anymore. Not, you know, not looking at Twitter. That's helps a lot. I'm sure. And I go on these very long walks every morning, about two miles that's great for your well-being. Well, important. They, I asked my doctor friend, and he goes, well, you're not really getting the heart rate up, but it's something, I guess. And it's like... I usually recommend for like a senior citizen to do a two-mile walk, but, <laughs> it, you know, I'm happy for it. <laughs> it's a nice... Well, I also do the elliptical, but I do... Right. I, not every day, but, I, but I, I do the walk every day. It's a great way to collect your thoughts and get some writing done and... It is. You know, you know whatever. Answer some emails. It's just a nice people watch... It out is. in the world, you know. Sometimes I'll do them twice a day. I'm on, uh, you know, day nine of, of no solid food. I, I I did my cleanse deal, and uh, this is the last day of, like, OJ and stuff, and then I'm back in the swing. Joseph and I are heading to Vegas this weekend. We do these, yes. uh, we do these podcasts a week behind sometimes, um, and I hope... When you're hearing this, I hope you came out to see Joe at the South Point Casino opening for Bobby Slayton, where I will be as well on Friday night. Um, the the rare reverse plug, which is always helpful for getting <laughs> getting asses in the seats. Um, yeah, three li- listeners just went, <laughs> I live right down the street from South Point. Right. Um, but yeah, we're good. And... and uh, you know, I was engaging with people a lot in the Facebook page. We don't know how to get you in. I think you have, you'd have you have to create your own Facebook profile. 
Which I don't recommend doing, frankly. It's I'm not, not going to do it. I, I, there's a reason I got rid of one many years ago. It's I like the distance of a, of a fan page only on there. I found Facebook quite intrusive yeah. after a while. Uh, and it's the reason I left Twitter. It's, uh, it's infinitely better. I, I have a pride when I say to people, oh, yeah, I don't really go on there. You know, using your lead, I get on once a day now to see what the news the news stories are, and then I'm kind of like, like the State of the Union shit. I was like, you don't care, Pat. Be honest with yourself. Yeah. You know the State of the Union is broken. Right. It's uh, shit. Right. So why, do, why are you reading it? You I, also, and I, I'm happier, too. I haven't been looking at it. And you could also get a more, at least a slightly more legitimized version of that news by just swiping uh, right on your phone. That's correct. You have a news widget. That's correct. So that's all I do, and I, I see what the big stuff is that's happening. I read, I read, and you know, I read it until I get furious, which yeah. is about, which is any news story now. I'm not just picking on Trump. Right. I'm picking on all of it. I just any news story now. I can read about five sentences before I'm furious. I agree. So uh, and, and to that, why did you tell Scott Bayo to do what he did? <laughs> I have been uh, angry at him since the departure from Joni Loves Chachi to pursue Charles in charge. Sure. I am convinced that is what led to the demise of actress... Nicole Eggert? No, Joni that died. Oh, Joni, yeah. Uh, what was what was that lady's name? I've never seen Joni Love Chachi. Well, she played Joni on Happy Days. She just died. It was like never one seen of the Happy Days. saddest fucking stories I've ever yeah. read. It was like... Yeah, like she, she, I love how everybody's not in Hollywood's like, we don't get it. Like, we don't understand what happened. She went to, uh, she wasn't getting work and then she moved to a trailer park and was like, went crazy. And it's like, yeah, that's what this town does to people. Right. You're Do you this, not understand? You're Joni on the show Joni Loves Chachi. Everyone loves you. Um, then no one will return your calls. Yeah. Um, then you're nothing overnight. Yeah. Just as quickly as you became a star. Um, and then your life falls apart. It, it, what, you, what, you, what don't you understand? It happens to everyone who pursues a career in the entertainment industry. And then, you know, the residual money gets less and less. Right. After a while, you can't live on it. I mean, remember right. the thing with Alf, the dad, with Willie from Alf and, like, the crack house? Like, having three ways with those, uh, those pro- the male prostitutes? Well, I, I thought I told you that maybe on this show, but I know everything there is to know about Max Wright, the dad from Alf. And, I believe uh, you did tell me, and then I looked it up, and I was like, come on, man, he's not in a crack house. And it's like, no, there he is in a crack house. He was a married man and then one day snapped. And uh, I've known a lot of people who have worked with Norm MacDonald. Um, I hope to someday do my dream show. Norm MacDonald has a farm, which is fully fleshed out and ready to go. Right. Um, but Norm MacDonald and Artie Lang all have all these amazing stories about him because uh, he worked on the Norm show. Right. With the, with those two. And he apparently hated Alf so much that one day he snapped and beat the shit out of the puppet. And was like, they were like, Matt, like it thought it was like a joke. And he just was, he, you couldn't pull him off of the puppet. Right. But they said the set was like really hot that to shoot a half hour show, they didn't do it with an audience at all, Alf, because of the comp, the complications of the puppetry. Why so was the set so hot? It would be like a 20 hour Hot day. I, I don't know, but it's always described as hot. It snapped. And they said when they shot the last shot of the finale of Alf, uh, he said his last line. They were like, we got it. And they had a little, of course, cast and crew party plan. 
that he walked directly off stage, got in his car, and drove away. He said nothing to anyone. Holy shit. Uh, I know a lot about Max Wright. It's, it's a dark tale. Holy shit. Now, Alf, there's a show, surprisingly, never syndicated anywhere. I never catch reruns of Alf, ever. Not I, that I want to. I didn't. I wasn't crazy about it when I was a kid, either. But I uh, would. Well, it was 100% my favorite show on television, um, age, you know, 5 to 10 or whenever it aired. I liked and, it at first, and then I started to just kind of not give a shit anymore. I thought Alf was really funny, and I, I had uh, an Alf doll that caught fire on my reading lamp when I was a boy. The one from Burger King that says, like, rock and roll? He was, like, wearing the no, rock it was it was nearly a full-size Alf. It was a huge Alf doll. All right. Now, would you, would you have sex with a doll? Uh, this was a little too early for me, but if I had gotten it when I was 11, I definitely would have been humping Alf until I <laughs> came. But, uh... You know what? Just bridge. I like my ladies bohemian. You know. You know what? Hairy, I, I'm it? about. I'm about to reveal way too much, but it wasn't too early because I just remembered. Bull. <laughs> now see that this is going to be talked about at, at length in the in the Facebook page. I was just praising, and that's fine. <laughs> but I did used to place my ch- child erect penis into the mouth of my Alf doll, which was an open mouth, <laughs> but velvety had a velvety tongue. And into the mouth of my Rolf from the Muppets puppet. Oh, my Lord. And move it around, but never to ejaculation. <laughs> because I was I was going to jokingly answer, and then I thought, no, Pat, you got to be truthful here. You did fuck that Alf doll. I'm not sure it's legal. I'm not sure it doesn't <laughs> count as bestiality. Both they're, of those. They're inanimate. <laughs> but they're inanimals. <laughs> they were fake. <laughs> Rolf is, was was a, a scratchy surface within his mouth and very unpleasant. Uh, yes, yeah, so you had it on those the nights you let, you wanted it rough. Right, you'd but, go to Ralph. But Alf had a had a velvety tongue, and this was before <laughs> I knew how to manipulate myself to orgasm. I would just kind of move it around. The only worse version of the story is if it was Max right in a crack house, mouth fucking <laughs> the Alf doll yeah. itself. That's yeah. the only worse version of the story. Well, Max Wright got uh, th- uh, thrown off the Norm show briefly. Artie Lang told the show on uh, Stern, told the story on Stern, because he was driving in to work one day on the Norm show, drove directly into the back of a cop car. The cop gets out, starts talking to him, and realizes that he's drunk on champagne to like go <laughs> go in for like a ten a.m. start time. <laughs> Which I and champagne is is a great little detail of the that's, story. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah, that's really funny. A guy getting up, just having a few bubblies first thing. Right. I I mean, look, that's what everyone in Los Feliz does when they go to fucking brunch. Is he? It's not that crazy. Is he mimosas? Car- now, now wait, how did the cop know it was champagne? Does he have the bottle in the car with him? I don't know how that came out unless Max told them. But I think there was a champagne bottle in the car. I can yeah, text my buddy Nate, who also heard the story firsthand. No, that's it could also be McDonald has embellished at some point. <laughs> who knows? But um, maybe I'll, anyway, before yeah. I forget, I'd love to go ahead and get on with the show. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, mm-hmm. on with a Joe, pretty woman. <laughs> I got to think of these like gun to my head. That's very good. I, I, I'm almost out. I mean, I'm going to have to start doing some research. I've Luckily, been, somebody uh, requested 
Joe, 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 it's magic last week, and that helped me out of a jam. But uh, I get I get a slight panic every time you launch into it. That, I do too, because I I'm like I wouldn't have remembered to prepare this. No, I well I don't. Well, there to be you go. With you. Um, but yeah, what I I just wanted to say, I spent a lot of time engaging with people on the Facebook page because I noticed a lot of people were spiraling, like doing exactly what I would have done back in the day. Like, like, oh no, was it my comment that pissed Pat and Joe off? Because I was talking about how they were all like being critical in them. I didn't. I didn't. Nobody pissed me off. I didn't. I know because you're not word. in there. That's why if you don't go into these sites, you don't get pissed off. But um, I explained to them that it is sometimes a show, but I'm like. You know, usually you can say whatever you want about the podcast. Joe and I don't take it very seriously. But um, there had been some people being like, "This sh- that, who wants to watch a fucking show about the Bible, etc.?" And it was bothering me because I, I try to avoid anything about it since right. it hasn't even aired yet. And uh, I'm too fragile. But going in there and seeing it, I got pissed. So I explained that that's what it was in a very long rant. Somebody actually accused me of being on cocaine when I did the rant. But I was just <laughs> like... Uh, like, come on, guys. Like, I, you know, this is my my other project. And everybody was like, whoa, no, we're all very excited about the show, blah, blah, blah. And it, it was a beautiful discussion. We have a, we have a, the best fans in the world, especially in terms of podcasts. They're wonderful. Just delightful people. And we're at like 800 fans. Also, before I forget, a lot of business to clear up in this one. Uh, the merch store is up. Oh, yeah. Shit. I almost forgot. Thank you. Emily Florence Emily put, Florence put it up yesterday. Um, it's it's the descriptions of the items are funny. Like the site is great, um, and I love Emily. I was telling this to our dear friend Vince Averill, Pat and my dear friend Vince Averill last night. Yes, uh, I told him the legacy of the Hog House bit on the pod. How much Pat didn't like it, <laughs> yes. and I love Emily that you called the merch tour the Hog House. Uh, yes, I didn't tell I you to do that. By that. I didn't I tell her to do that. It. That was yes. all on her own. Uh, so the fans have spoken. Well, let me give you the address real quick because I do not know it offhand, but it is on Etsy. I know that much, and it is called the Hog House Shop. And I assume that's all you do, right? You search the Hog House Shop. Yeah, and you buy stuff. Yeah. Well, search for items or shop. The Hog House Shop will see you in hell. Um, you'll see it. If you have comments, questions, concerns about the merch, see you in hell merch at gmail.com. That's all, that's all we got. Uh, but they got beautiful stuff. Stickers, these posters that uh, Jeremy Benison and others did. Yes. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and there's only more to come. So please enjoy. The, uh, I think only the Benison posters are there now. Yes. I think some other stuff oh, that's correct. Yes. is potentially coming from other artists. Uh, and I think we're we're hoping to get T-shirts in there soon. So, um, hey, we're, we're excited. You guys are all awesome. Also, I, I'm going to start looking at our uh, HeadGum uh, uh, demographics, uh, like what, how many downloads we're getting where. Yes. So we can start figuring out where we can go to do a live show that, enough people would come to that it'd be worth going out there. Why have we not? I mean, there's been several requests for L.A. Um, I guess if our well, we could podcasting LA, company sure. ever did anything like that for us, <laughs> that we could do it through them. But I'm not sure they know that we're actually on the HeadGum Network. 
Um, but yeah, we we'd love to I'd do like one. To just once get invited to one of the not even invited. I'd love to sit in the audience for one. Just notified that there's yet another Headgum Live event happening. They've never even told me that <laughs> no, it's happening. No, I think we're sort of the black sheep of the Headgum family. Uh, well, look, we can easily do one in L.A. That that goes without speaking. Uh, I'd like to see though in what other cities we could actually pull out a nice, you know, a, a, a nice size audience. Meaning, like, guys, if we can get fifty people out to a show yeah. and and find the right venue. We can figure out a way to make this work, you know. So uh, we're doing a different festival. Somebody was mentioning uh, in Colorado this October, a different one from the one you and I did. Mm-hmm. What seems now like twelve years ago, but uh, yeah, that that festival has ended, and this is a new one. Um, we do that. If you got a horror festival in your town, throw us up. We'd love to do it. Yeah, anybody, especially in the next six months, because I'm not. <laughs> really working until the show premieres. That's totally legit. If anybody has any connections whatsoever to a uh, you know horror festivals of any kind, r- fantasy festivals of any kind, video game festivals of any kind, anything that this would sort of fit into, Pat and I are very game to come out and do do those things. Uh, we don't have agents that that specialize in those types of appearances so, so i i don't know anybody it was easier with fangoria because we could go through fangoria right um but uh i'm sort of out of touch these days with anybody with their hands in those pies out of touch um joe i'd love to take you down to the paradise city but first i would like to take you to pat's movie corner i thought they were the same place you know, they might be one and the same. Um, I've barely seen anything. Uh, I don't know. I've been watching Frasier incessantly, and I, it's taking up all, almost all my watch. Frasier when I came in? Yeah. Today. I'm almost to the end again, but it's taking up all of my free watching TV time. That's I understand. But uh, And I will say, a lot of people are like, lean into Frasier. Let that be the new Perfect Strangers. P.S. I love you. Uh, I'm ready to. I'm ready. So maybe that'll be my contribution today to the movie corner. Okay, can we call this segment Crane Shots after my beloved joke? Uh, yes, okay. yes. Uh, <laughs> I, Joe, the other night I I, um, I was going to come over here or vent or something, and, and Joe was like, I'm, I'm turning in a little early tonight. I pictured you with a, a nightcap on your head, one of those like Three Stooges ones with a ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a cup of Sleepy Time tea. <laughs> So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go see Phantom Thread again in 70 millimeter. I, oh, they okay. so rarely do that around here. It's very nice. Um, I go. The show was sold out, which is crazy for a movie that's been out that long. But so I'm looking around. I'm looking through my movie pass. We should talk about movie pass, by the way, because I think that the the theater world at large is realizing that they're about to get royally fucked. AMC starting to pull out. They're like, wait a minute. Apparently, everybody's doing movie pass. <laughs> And the company is a sham. You cannot get help from MoviePass when you call their helpline. Well, and you know what, man? I don't feel sorry one bit for these theaters. I love the cinema. I love going to see movies. But these fucking people have gleefully, this industry has gleefully ripped off the public since I I was born. 1775 is the current cost of a movie in L.A. Yeah, and it's like, beep, you should be fucking ashamed of yourselves. And and, and don't give me the bullshit that we need to overcharge because there's so much overhead and whatever. This is all the bullshit in Hollywood. It's just, ugh, get me started. Well, MoviePass was asking AMC, so MoviePass slides in here. 
their their whole thing is a sham. Like you know, Heather signed up for it and didn't get her pass for like six months. Right. You they have no support. No one works there apparently, and yet they're slowly taking over the movie industry. And they start. They went over to AMC like they're the fucking mob, and they were like, you know what? We've sent so many people to your movie theaters that weren't there before that now we're going to go ahead and take thirty percent of your concessions. Good. And AMC goes. They released a statement that was like way more strongly worded than your average PR statement. Right. And it was like, I want to be real clear here. Movie Pass will never receive dollar one right. of AMC's concessions or whatever. And they just start like it's becoming a battle. Yeah, I like and it's it. shaking the industry to its core. But they let all these people do these one year memberships. So if Movie Pass goes under, which I don't think it will, then all these people are gonna riot because they put they paid the money for the year membership and then they can't use it. I think we're heading for a big problem, frankly. Well lawsuits. I like big problems. I, I did like too. chaos. You uh, did it to yourself, everybody. Yeah. Movie movie industry thrived and, and worked beautifully for a hundred years. And then th- these little this little offshoot rinky dink company that I did this for ages and nobody knew what movie pass was. Yeah. Uh they've toppled it in the span of about a year, and it's amazing. Makes me smile. It does. What now? Wait. What, so what did he, you see? Here's what I did. So, man, I go on some fucking tangents on these shows. It's all right. Uh, I so I look up the Egyptian theater where you and I saw that crazy Nicolas Cage movie that one time. That was you and Vince, but you and I saw oh, the Ford right. Fairlane Ford screen Fairlane, there right. with the Q and A with Dice afterwards. Yeah. Um, so I go up. I, I'm looking through the thing. I'm like, what movies are playing like in the next five ten minutes? And I see nine to five. Oh, wow. Which I know is one of your favorite comedies. All time. And a movie that I realized I had only maybe seen half of when I was a kid. I'd never seen the whole thing. Right. So I'm like, oh, shit. I go over to the theater. They show an amazing print of 9 to 5. The audience is cheering, laughing. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's a ve- And it, I realized it was kind of a Me Too event. It was a women's lib kind of event. And that movie... That movie- Made such a feminist statement at yes. a time where it was not like hip to do that. Right. Like it was, it was, it's a really great groundbreaking movie. I love it. I loved it. I don't know how Dolly Parton didn't win the Oscar. She's so fucking funny in it. And Tomlin is fucking great in it. You know, Tomlin almost walked. No, I didn't. Uh, I just watched, you know, Tomlin and uh, 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 what's her name? Jane Fonda got uh, interviewed. You know, they're they're plugging the new season of Grace and Frankie. Yeah. And they brought up nine to five. I think Fallon brought up nine to five. And and, uh, and uh, he's like, is it true, Lily, that you almost didn't do it? She's like, yeah, I was signed on. I almost walked. Yeah. And what she for? Goes, she, he goes, why? And he goes, well, we didn't have Dolly yet. And... Uh, Jane's comedic skills at that time were questionable. Suspect. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, uh, and Jane was like, and she, and Jane Fonda jumps in and she's like, and you didn't want to have to carry the whole movie. And she's right. like, yeah, exactly. I didn't want that responsibility, but it all worked out. Yeah. Because apparently Jane Fonda like produced it and like. Yeah, it was her baby kind of. I didn't know that. Well, I learned a ton because so I, what I will say is that the, the first act of nine to five is perfect. The, fir- yeah. the first act where you're like setting up the office and Dabney Coleman is so good in it and they're all so funny in it. Everything is perfect and I was just loving it. But I personally, and I might have liked it more as a kid, I hated the fantasy sequences. Uh, I, they're real lame. Where they're, gonna ki- they're all fantasizing about killing him. 
I don't like the I don't like the Snow White one. It's a little too goofy. Yeah. Uh I kinda like the Jane Fonda one. Wait, what's the Fonda that's the one where like the mob is chasing him, right? Yeah, the angry mob. Is, is at it, least that one's quick. Then Dolly Parton rides a horse to the office. <laughs> and then she's just a cow lady in the office. Yeah. I was like it was it was stupid and I thought it derailed the movie. And you hurt you felt the audience get restless. Because the audience for a movie in ni- that came out in nineteen eighty was going nuts and then you felt the energy kind of drain. Right. Well, it is the scene where they're smoking weed and it's supposed to right. be like they're laughing at ridiculous That's shit. That's true. But then it, the movie definitely gets back on track. It was very funny. I loved it. And then I'm getting ready to leave. I just thought it was a screening of 9 to 5. Out comes this lady who's, you know, 65, very not Hollywood, like a big old pair of mom jeans and like a, you know, a, right. almost like a muumuu type shirt comes out. And she's the writer of 9 to 5. Oh, wow. And it was so cool. And then I've been reading this Letterman biography. I'm loving this Letterman biography. It's fantastic. The new one that just came out called Letterman. And one of the key players in the book is Meryl Marco, who was Letterman's girlfriend for 10, 15 years and ran the show, like basically wrote all these early bits for him Uh in a very male-dominated industry. So they go, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the writer of 9 to 5, she comes out, and we're going to be doing a QA and a moderated by Meryl Marco. Oh, wow. This book I'm reading. She comes out. She's funny. The lady's funny. And the lady was critical of 9 to 5 because she said, she goes, I did it. It was a male director. And he said to me, you'll have no involvement. I have your script. Thank you. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm rewriting it. Um, I'll see you at the premiere. And banned her from the set. There might be more to the story than what she's saying. Right. But yeah, uh, it, it was a kind of a bummer. And then she goes, and I saw the movie and she goes, you guys all love the movie and you've seen it a hundred times. She goes, I see. I miss my original screenplay. She goes, the heart of it is there. I, I love that it brought so many people joy, but it just goes to show you like, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the making of movie and television that, you know, it can break people's hearts. She seemed still angry about it. I, but Yeah, I would imagine. Because in her script, the three of them tried to kill Dabney Coleman. And they replaced it, and apparently Jane Fonda was involved in this too. She was like, "We can't try to kill him." That's what led to the fantasy sequences. So I was like, "Oh, so the worst part of the movie was not the writer's idea." Um, in her script, they were all planning on killing Dabney. Oh, the, wait, wait, what? Oh, the fantasy sequences were there because they said they can't plan to kill him. Right? They, they ha- they'll be unlikable or whatever else. Oh, okay. In her mind, it was a very dark comedy about trying to kill Dabney. But anyway, they do that. Then out comes Callie Corey. Academy Award-winning screenwriter right. of Thelma and Louise right. <laughs> talks about they have this three-way discussion that was so great about um, how they made these movies that were about what's going on right now. Right. And they read from these reviews by major, major critics criticizing Thelma and Louise of being a man-hating movie, a man-bashing movie. <laughs> right. Male critics, of course. Right. Uh and it, w- it was just really, really interesting. And then I stuck around and watched Thelma and Louise, <laughs> which I hadn't seen in 20 years. And that movie's fucking great. You know, I've never seen Thelma and Louise. It is so fucking good. All right. It's really, really great. And Gina Davis funny? and Sarandon are great. And the men in it are great. Christopher McDonald. That's Brad Pitt's sort of big debut. Brad Pitt, Harvey Keitel. Is it funny or is it more of an action It's funny, but I mean, like... It kicks off with the attempted rape of Gina Davis. I mean, it's a it's a serious movie, of course. But, right. Uh, I, if you haven't seen Thelma and Louise, ma- make it a priority. Everybody knows the ending, but 
Man, it, it's so good, and uh, I think it. it I, I got the impression like they, they, uh, Ridley Scott loved Reservoir Dogs because like everyone from Reservoir Dogs is in it. It's got Madsen and Keitel and all these people. Oh, okay. It's a very cool movie. Very cool movie. Um, Great. You've only got Frasier, right? Yeah, but we're we're making some good time here. All right. Do you have a lot more? No, I. Uh, well, Heather and I, I, I did this bracket thing last night. They had this bracket in Entertainment Weekly, which I still subscribe to. Uh, even though it's become like Us Weekly, essentially. It used to be a great, you know, hard-hitting journalistic magazine. But um, they had a bracket like you would do for sports, but with Best Picture winners. Uh-huh. To decide what was the best ever Best Picture winner. And Heather and I did it and went through it and had a lot of fun. And she was like, well, there's a lot of these I haven't even seen. So when you look through it, I was actually laughing out loud looking back at like the five nominees for like 1998, let's say. <laughs> right. They get it so fucking wrong. <laughs> when you look back at what movies were released in a given year, the yeah. ones that have gone on to become like all-time classics, they're nowhere near the nominations list. And Heather's like, what is Shakespeare in love? I've never even seen this movie. <laughs> right. And I go, oh, it won Best Picture. It beat Saving Private Ryan. For best. <laughs> she goes, there's no fucking way. I go, it did. So she goes, well, I want to see this thing now. I saw it in the theater. I go, I just remember it being kind of boring, but let's watch it. Sure. We watched Shakespeare in Love last night. It is, Heather was, I've never seen her so angry. She was so mad this thing won Best Picture. It's stupid. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, there's a few like kind of cute little jokes in it or whatever, but Paltrow's boring in it. It's a boring movie. It's goofy. Like it, yeah. it plays like a, an SNL sketch sort of. And you know who got it best picture? Harvey Weinstein. Wait. That oh, was he, when people, when that beat Sh- uh, Saving Private Ryan, people were like, what's going on here? Because <laughs> he bought it. That was when pe- he started getting into a lot of heat about that stuff. He would like really kind of elbow his way into winning this stuff. But Shakespeare in Love, for that movie to win best picture, like has anyone mentioned that movie in 25 years? No. Ben nobody Affleck. mentioned it that year. Nobody mentioned 20 it. 20 years, I guess. Exactly 20 years. But nobody, I mean, nobody no. was walking around going, have you seen Shakespeare in Love? You gotta see it. Nobody. Nobody cared. And the other nominees that year were The Thin Red Line, which is, uh, I might rewatch, but it's so insanely boring, when I, as what I remember of it. Yeah. Elizabeth. That's like, not a... Folks, these are not the classics we're, we're still talking about. They're, yeah. they're just all... Uh, the, uh, we looked up our birth years, me and Heather. The year of my birth, 1981. Chariots of Fire won Best Picture. Apparently, that's a very good movie. I, I remember watching it as a kid and hating it. It's so slow. Yeah. It's so slow. And all the, no- you know, the only movie that's any good that anyone even remembers from 81 that got nominated was Raiders of the Lost Ark, which did not win. That got nominated for Best Picture? It did. That's a, well, I look, Rightfully so. It's in my top ten. I'm not surprised. I'm, yeah. I'm surprised it got nominated, not that I don't think it's Best Picture. Uh, the point right. is, generally, they're dead wrong. We watched another Best Picture, which was Kramer versus Kramer. I now like that, Kramer versus Kramer. That was Kramer. a fantastic movie. Yeah. Amazingly well acted by Dustin Hoffman. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, like, anything you watch now, you're like, well, okay, I guess he could probably do it. And that, that movie, uh, Meryl Streep talks about now how to get her ready for a scene, Dustin Hoffman slapped her as hard as he could across the face. And she was not prepared or asking for it. Or oh, he didn't. Oh, she wasn't like, hit me. She, he, he just yeah, did he, it. She was like, I'm having trouble getting into the headspace of the scene. And he smacked her as hard as he could and stuff. I was like, all right. 
It's, but if you separate it from that, Kramer versus Kramer is a beautiful movie. It drags a bit in the courtroom stuff at the end, which I think was more novel at the time because divorce was more rare. But uh, it's it's just a beautifully done movie, and and Hoffman is great in it, as is the kid. Justin Henry. scene where the kid falls is brutal, and he's like oh yeah running, running with him. Hospital, it's brutal. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a great movie. All right, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Well, let's get into some crane shots. Please go for it. <laughs> I mean, what? Look, I, I, I guess I could just kind of tell you what some of my favorite episodes have been. Please. But I'll just do one at a time so we can really juice this thing for a long time. All right. Uh, but I would say that uh, a recent episode I watched that I enjoyed very much was uh, Frazier is feuding with his upstairs neighbor, Cam Winston. Uh, Played by? I don't know the actor's name. Right. I've never seen him in anything except in this role. But he's really funny in it. And uh, he gets some of Cam Winston's mail by accident. And in the which he opens, uh, and in the mail is a uh, invitation to the grand opening of some elite new something that's happening in the city. Of course, him and Niles, he and Niles are offended. We belong to every elite right. club in the city. How, what, what have we not been invited to? They right. go to the place. They find out it's a day spa. They hustle their way in. Uh, it's. The best day spa experience they've ever had. They're paying the bill. They're like, this is going to be a standing appointment for us. My God, I feel rejuvenated. I haven't felt alive in years, whatever. <laughs> they see a senator. Frazier goes, oh, isn't that senator so-and-so? Uh, and the senator, he goes, I want to go say hi. And he goes to say hi. And the senator goes in a, a gold door that Frazier is not allowed to, to go in. All right. And... Uh, <laughs> He's like, why can't I go in this door? And the lady's like, I'm sorry, you're at the bronze level. The senator's at the gold level. You're not allowed to go into the gold level. Uh But please, enjoy the bronze level as you have been. And then, of course, immediately he's like, I haven't been enjoying anything. This is trash. He's disgusted. Uh Yeah. So they go to Roz, of course. Uh, Of course, Roz has slept with the senator, (laughs) which by the time – listen, this is not a gender commentary I'm about to make. I was noticing what you're about to say myself, I'm sure. Uh, By the time you get to like the 10th or 9th season of Frasier, Roz's sexual exploits become disturbing almost. Yeah. It gets to a point where you're like, something's wrong with this person. (laughs) She's trying to fill a hole, yes. (laughs) More than one. More than one, folks. Yeah. but anyway, they go. They're telling Roz what happened. She's like, "I know that senator. I can call him." You know, when when his marriage was breaking up, we had a quiet affair or something. And then, uh, so of course, they get in, and she's like, "But you, you're going to get into the gold door. Then you're, there's going to be a diamond door, and you're going to not be able to deal with that." And they're like, "Right, pish posh, get in the gold door. It's the greatest thing they've ever uh, experienced. They're they're on cloud nine. They're just loving it. It's so much better than the bronze. They were right. Of course, Fraser spots the platinum door." <laughs> goes to open it. Some guy's like, you're not allowed in there. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> in a really well-written sequence, they ignore the guy, the staffer. When, and when the staffer leaves the room, they kick the door open. And the, they're in a thing called a serenity garden. <laughs> oh, that's right. The staffer goes, you're not allowed through that door. You just have to enjoy your time here in the serenity garden. <laughs> and Frazier goes, enjoy your time here in the serenity garden. <laughs> We're crueler words ever spoken. <laughs> That's very funny. That's very funny. They're in this thing. They've got like mud on their faces. 
they kick the door open. Sunlight is beaming through, and, and Fraser's like, behold, Niles, actual sunlight to replace the chemical peel. Uh-huh. And they go out, and then it's, it's the back alley. It's, they're, in the, they're with the dumpsters in the fucking back alley. So they, they upgraded their way outside. Basically. Nice message. Yeah, it is a nice message. Uh, Fraser shirtless throughout these scenes? Uh, I think you catch him a couple times. Niles at one point is in a month full mummy wrap. Okay. Uh, and I'll say this. After this being the second time I've gone fully through the show, and not counting the ones I saw when it originally aired, I, I think I fully believe at this point that Niles Crane is the most endearing sitcom character wow. of all time. But you have to watch the entire arc of it. Right. That, they all go through a nice transformation over the show, which is why I like it so much. Yeah. Uh, but he, his particular arc from going from being such like a ninny and a snot to like a guy that actually has feelings and loves his dad and like becomes giving. And it's a fucking beautiful. It, he's so good on that show, man. That guy yeah. is so fucking I, I, good. He uh, used to beat Jason Alexander every year, which is shocking to me, but he did. I think, well, he brings an emotional side to it that right. isn't in the George character. George is hilarious, but George is, you know, it's it's two speeds, and it's great. That's true. But, I mean, like, there's stuff with Niles where it's like, there's a dude, there's an episode where he gets, he dresses up as his dad for Halloween. Uh-huh. And his de- and you know Marty's like f- f- flattered. He loves it so much. And then Niles drinks too many beers, and then like goes on this speech about like how his kids are too major disappointment. It gets it gets so dark and yeah. emotional. And like you know you don't really see that on Seinfeld. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they never allowed any emotion on Seinfeld. Uh, but anyway, I love the show, and uh, I, I I I have made it the. Uh, uh, it's it's become my barometer for all things quality uh, on in half hour television. Are you able to tell people like what episode that is, what season it is? Or? I believe it's season ten. Um, oh Jesus! And the episode is. I can't remember the name of it. I can't remember the name of it. But look, I'm going to be talking about Frasier on here for a <laughs> long time. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, we didn't even decide which which one we're doing. We're recording two today, but I think we should do Before I Wake, correct? No, no, no. We're, we're in Black Mirror right now. All right. Well, then you're getting a little preview. Next week's episode will be <laughs> the, uh, I guess, Netflix original movie it became, uh, Before I Wake. You literally said before I hit record, what are we doing first? I know. BM? And I, I know. said, yeah. <laughs> I know. I realize that now. Um, See, kids been drinking nothing but orange juice for a week. Yeah, I, I will say during that week, like sometimes you'll start to say a word and it just won't be there. Yeah. It's like uh, I'm brain dead. Uh, but we are talking about the back half of uh, Black Mirror season four. We're talking about episodes four five and six. Number four is called Hang the DJ. Yes. Great title. Great episode. Great title, great song, which I was hoping would be used by the Smiths, and it is used expertly in the show as well. Yes. And also then to kind of step back and go, oh, hang the DJ, because the DJ is is playing what they want you to hear, and the show is about making your own path in life, not, not letting technology, in this right. case Tinder basically, decide who your partner will be. Right. Um, decide for yourself. I... I 
I, I'm usually not quite bright enough to get those thematic connections. I didn't I, catch that. Very I insightful. Like, I was like, hang the DJ. Why, why, why is that the title? Why is that the song? And, you know, usually if you sit and think about it, you can get it. I, I, I think going to film school kind of put those thoughts into my head. You start to analyze things. I had a film teacher who used to say every character in every movie was gay. He thought Bruce Willis in Die Hard was uh, c- coded gay. <laughs> Uh, it was hilarious. Right. He was a fascinating man, but he made you look differently at all kinds of movies and shit. Well, and that was a particularly deep title for Black Mirror. I mean, the first episode this year was called like Space Jam or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, yes. the title's have been pretty on the nose. That's true. I don't know why that one was called Crocodile. Like I never figured that out. Which one was Crocodile? Crocodile was the one. It should have been called Guinea Pig. It was the one with the uh, woman who kills everybody. I feel like that had something to, that was somehow a reference to the violence. There was some sort of violent parallel between the woman's actions and a crocodile, like okay. how a crocodile okay. will survive or All right. something like that. I mean, you know, this one, though, I had no idea other than they were playing the song at the end of it. I, right. was, I, I didn't even put together the thing you just said. We'll recap Hang the DJ for our, our dear listeners. It's fantastic. It's, it's everything. It was probably my favorite episode of the season. Uh, Easily my favorite. It's everything that Black Mirror does right, uh, including keeping the episode under an hour. Um, <clears throat> you know, I love it. I lo- my favorite thing about Black Mirror is that, is that those... I, I mean, I don't love the show, but I like when they do this. I love this one aspect. I, I like the show very much, but I love this one aspect, which is, hey... I, they really give a nice fuck you to people that want everything to be safe. Yes. And are trading off, slowly but surely, their own decision-making abilities and their own uh, abilities to be discerning or whatever it is so, so things are safe and done for them. And I really like that Black Mirror gives you a real fuck you uh, to that. Um, and that's what this episode does. It shows that the dating apps have advance to the point where not only will it get you a match, but it'll tell you exactly how long you will be with the match. And right. then there are also, as it unfolds, you realize living in this sort of totalitarian uh, society or compound or something where you're not allowed to leave the relationship early. Like yeah. it's telling you, we know what's good for you. Yes. Uh, which is what these apps have started doing. Um, <clears throat> it was so well cast the lead couple who i had not seen before had had such chemistry that like in a way i haven't done in a while watching something that was supposed to be romantic i was really rooting for them to get together and i had no idea how it was going to end i mean i watched this with uh my girlfriend and we were both just like you know on the edge of our seats and it was not a scary or necessarily suspenseful episode of the show it was a very light episode of the show but i really wanted them to wind up together they seemed so perfect for each other and uh, the way it plays out, I just I thought it was very interesting and very moving. I gotta say, I liked it a lot. It, it had great social commentary about what, at least I took it this way, what our culture does to women. Like yeah. the app basically forces her into being very promiscuous with a lot of men, like just overly sexualizing herself, basically, yeah. because she just kept getting thirty six hour relationships one after the next right. and it was just the app basically being like yeah you're going to have a bunch of one night stands now like and and she does inadvertently uh uh and and, and I also really like to 
So at the end of the so at the end of the episode, they decide we're going to make a break for it. We don't damn what the app says. We're not breaking up. We're going to make a run, leave this compound, climb the mysterious wall that nobody's ever scaled over, and uh, see what's on the other side and be free. So they do as they do it. Everything sort of digitizes and disappears. They end up in this weird neutral space. There's a bunch of them. It's all identical couples of them. Uh, they all digitize and go up into the air, and then a statistic forms that says, you know, out of 100 matches or whatever of these two, there have been 99 rebellions or whatever. Right. Meaning 99 times that the simulation was run, these two decided I was meant for you, and we need to be together. Fuck what the world has to say. And then it cuts, and you realize it's the algorithm behind a present-day dating app that these two people are actually using separately, and they're meeting for the first time on a date. And it is very hopeful, and it's very beautiful, and you're like, oh, they found each other, and they're allowed to love each other in this world. But there still is that undercurrent of, yeah, but this... This is this is where that one started. This right. is, you know, th- this will eventually get to that. Right. Just right now, it seems nice. Yeah. It was very well done. It was a very very well done episode. Favorite of the season by far, and one of my favorite all time Black Mirrors. Uh, on the flip side. Oh God. Let's I, dig in the ass of this one. What was this thing called? This black and what metalhead? I think it was called metalhead. It was called, and I love black and white. So I will say, it was shot very well. Because I'm going to say one positive, positive thing, but um, and I liked the way the little thing moved, the little thing that was chasing them. I hated it. But uh, yeah, and I liked that it was 40 minutes. I'm going to say three positive things about it. It was the shortest of them all. But um, boy, I didn't care about anyone in it or anything that happened. I thought this was everything uh, Black Mirror could do wrong. Yeah. There was no, as far as I was concerned. There was no real social commentary no. here. This is a story we've heard a million times. Right. It's it's just an elaborate chase scene. You know, they break into a warehouse. They want to get something. It's clearly post-apocalyptic. And I know we talk a lot about our our least favorite genres on this show. I've never mentioned this. My my right behind remains of the day period pieces is post-apocalypse. I can't fucking stand post-apocalypse. It's so boring, and it always reeks... Mad Max? I did like Mad Max a lot. You're right. Okay. Well, well, there's always exceptions. Mad Max is awesome. But yeah, I guess so. there's exceptions. But, but I, post-apocalypse, most of the time, to me, reeks of a producer saying, we don't have a budget, let's drive to Arizona and yeah. pretend it's the end of the world. And that's always how it feels to me. Uh, the, the, there's a band of people looking for supplies or something. They break into a warehouse. They encounter a robotic guard dog in the warehouse. And then it's the chase is on. And it's, 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 you know, it's fucking Terminator. It's, it's just shit you've seen a million times. The robots chasing the humans. The humans aren't any match for the robots. Um, they tack on this kind of lame twist at the end where you feel like, where you find out all they were trying to get was teddy bears for her sister or something like that. Um, but again, no real commentary. Uh, I think in theory that their, their thinking was, we'll just do one that's just like relentless, pure action. Um, but it, it, it wasn't exciting to me personally. 
It doesn't work. Yeah. It's like when it's like it, it's it's like when the Twilight Zone once in a while would go. We're going to do a really heartfelt one. And it's yeah. like don't. Yeah. The sinister element of this show is what makes it work. Right. Uh, so I, I just hated it, and 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 it was clocked in the shortest of the season at forty-one minutes. Correct. Which guys cut these things down? They don't need to be this long. We've already said it. Forty-one minutes. This fucking thing felt longer than any of the other episodes. To I me. agree. I was so fucking bored, man. And coming on the heels of of uh, Hang the DJ, it really paled as well. I was just kind of like, ah, eh. yeah. Um, and then six, I believe, is called Black Museum. Black Museum. Yes. This one was nearly feature length. As well, <laughs> this, it was an hour ten. Yeah, um, a lot of cool stuff though. Yeah, this this felt extremely Twilight Zone e to me, mm-hmm. as as many of them do, of course. But um, since you, since you watched them yesterday, you should recap because you'll do better than I did. I watched them around New Year's. So, well, Black Museum is a story about a, a woman driving through the desert. Again, is it post apocalypse or near future? Whatever. She stops to uh, recharge her car. It's going to take three hours to recharge her car. She notices there's a museum called the Black Museum. She goes inside to kill some time to get a tour. The tour guide, I don't know who either actor's name is, but they were both really fucking good, man. They were. and Both these actors were really good. Yeah, it's, it's weird, too, because there must be all these huge names vying to be on Black Mirror, so it must be a conscious choice or maybe a budget choice to just go with no names, but sometimes it's very effective. Uh, he gives her a tour of the Black Museum, which, big surprise. No, well, actually, I was surprised, but now that I'm, we're talking about it, I'm like, duh, is a Black Mirror Museum. It's all, el- it's all objects from previous shows. Uh, previous episodes and like the guys like these objects were all used to commit criminal acts and I have them here and I you know tell the stories of the objects to people so can I can I stop you right there yeah I did not make the connection that these were artifacts from previous Black Mirror shows that's a bummer because that's really that really hooked me in at the top I was like oh like like what the lollipop from the space one is in there. Remember the guy uses yes. the lollipop to get the kids' DNA? That lollipop and that machine that creates the people in the space world is in there. The broken iPad from the Jodie Foster one is in there. So they were from this season even? And well, I still I, didn't make the I connection? Would, I saw two or three from this season. But then I, I'm guessing there were other ones from right. other seasons and I didn't, uh, that I wow. didn't recognize. Now I feel dumb. After my victory on Hang the DJ, I feel like an idiot. So anyway... This is a cool episode because this is the only one they've ever done like this. They go into an anthology style story or a show or episode. And the guy tells her three different stories about three different objects that last about 15 minutes each. And you're like, perfect. Yeah. And then this is the wraparound story. It worked very well. Uh, In the end, you find out that this guy is much more evil than I guess he initially reveals. Um, all the stories are connected to this medical association or company, medical supply company he worked for uh, that he was fired from when he figured out how to capture the consciousness of serial killers. And he wanted to do this museum of, of hologram, hologram serial killers. And they told him to beat it. So he actually did it in his, sh- in his museum with this guy who was... You know, you get the feeling he was probably innocent, but was sent to the electric chair anyway. 
And uh, this guy basically tortures this hologram who has full consciousness over and over by electrocuting him every day for people that come in to see the tours. This kind of goes back to the, sp- the f- episode one, the idea that you could create artificial intelligence that actually can feel pain right, and right. all these things, um, but can't die. Uh and then you find out that the guy, the, the girl that's there, that's her dad, and she's there to avenge her father and poison this guy yeah. for what he's doing to him and set her father free uh, from this hologram prison, you know. And this is where it all stops making sense. Uh, I don't really get what the hell happened. Somehow she puts the museum direct... She uses all the devices from the whole episode, which... This has always been a criticism out of Black Mirror. There, everything doesn't need to be tied together like that. And this one, they really do it. She, she takes like a thing that can put somebody's essence inside somebody else's head, and she puts the evil guy who has the museum, his essence, inside the essence of the hologram dad, <laughs> which already you're like, wait, what? Yeah. And then she... Uh, puts the electrocution thing on nonstop, which for some reason will kill her dad, who's a hologram, but right. this guy will be electrocuted for the rest of time in his mind. I-, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then there was another, and then like there was a teddy bear that a woman's conscious from one of the stories had been put into, and then she takes the teddy bear with her so she saves the woman, and then she gets into the car and looks into the rearview mirror, and you see that her mom is inside her head. And you're like, well, how the fuck did her mom get in her head? It, it lost guy? me, too. It, it lost goes me too. wildly off the fucking rails yeah. at the end. It's too much. Um, I might actually watch that one again now that you're t- telling me all this stuff because I just was sort of vaguely confused by it, although I liked her getting the revenge at the end and... I that like part the, I like. I like the stories and yeah. et cetera. But um, yeah, this one was kind of a question mark for me, I guess, because I didn't get it. But um, not not a favorite. Not a favorite. Uh, and so it's called Black Museum because it's a black mirror. Yeah. Because what threw me was I kept expecting a, a race element to enter the story because the girl's black. Well, there is a little bit of it. The hologram, the girl is black. Right. I think that's on purpose. I think that they are trying to make you think like... There, there's definitely a commentary on race and yeah. crime and yeah. uh, unfair persecution and whatever in there. So I, I think that that's part of it. You know, I think, you know, so uh, overall, I'd say the season was was pretty good. Uh, I, you know, I loved the first episode. I loved hanging the DJ and I loved uh, and I and I really liked this one uh, until the end. Yeah, I thought the. Uh, the, as we already stated, the insurance episode and the black and white episode were painfully boring. I didn't care for either. And I, I like the, the insurance episode. The but. Jodie Foster one was pretty good. Uh, and the, yeah, the Star Trek one was great. Um, I, this was the first one I saw another name other than Charlie Booker, the guy who writes the show. Or Booker? Booker? Um, it was, and it was Penn Gillette, which I was not expecting, of yeah. Penn and Teller fame. Had the idea for it, maybe. I think... Uh, as as a as a visionary guy, obviously as Charlie Booker or Brooker is, um, it's time to open it up and bring in even one other person to right. to you know to get kind of I 
there are so many people who could just do a bang up job of coming up with like great shit for this show. And the guy is a, is a great, great writer. But, you know, I think if you're doing six a year, uh, maybe bring in another voice. I, I think the show's it's about time for the show to open up a little bit. If they're going to keep no, it I going. agree. I, I agree. You know, Rod Serling is is the man behind Twilight Zone, but he certainly had plenty of other fantastic Tons, yeah. writers in yeah. there. So I'm uh, not pitching myself either. I'm not smart enough to write a black mirror. But. <laughs> Uh, well, Pat, that's Black Mirror full season four. We covered it. Uh, you can find me at Joe DeRosa Comedy on um, Instagram and on Twitter, though I don't really go on Twitter much, as you all know. Uh, I also think I think I'm plugging properly here. I will be at the Gotham Comedy Club headlining five shows. The 16th and 17th of February and I will then the following week be performing at the Patrice O'Neill Benefit with a slew of other wonderful comedians including Bill Burr, Robbie Kelly uh, Rich Voss and and many more Uh, I look forward to that so uh, I hope to see you out there Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Patrick Walsh and we are getting closer to the premiere of my show and also Joe's show, Living Biblically. You will start to see promos. I'd like to say in the most diplomatic way possible, I do not have any say or approval over the promos they are airing for the show. Um, but it, trust me, it's a really funny show, and I hope you watch. Uh, I also uh, I also have no, I'll say in the most diplomatic way possible, I have no control over any of you tweeting incessantly at CBS. <laughs> Don't tell him to do that, John. And saying, where's Gary? <laughs> you know what? Maybe they should. But I, not I, in a nice way. I'm not saying, I'm not saying in a mean way. I know. But, uh, you know, Les Moonves uh, is not monitoring the CBS uh, <laughs> Twitter account, I assure you. Fair I'm enough. sure it's some nice person who doesn't want to answer all those. But uh, I ask myself each week, where's Gary? And I hope he returns. Um, thank you all. Uh, check out that merch page, as we said. Check out that Patreon. Thank you to those of you who are uh, supporting us, sponsoring us on Patreon. And uh, we'll see you next time, and we'll see you in hell. That was a HeadGum Podcast.